Have you ever noticed that the lower jaw is not protected in sports? Did you know that 10,800 concussions will happen today? This has been an upward trend for the past 50 years. I'm Dr. Michael Hutchison, a practicing neuromuscular dentist. When my son wanted to participate in football and rugby, I was afraid he was going to get a concussion. That fear led me to finding the missing link to reducing concussions. The fact is, the only part of the skull that is not protected in sports is the lower jaw. If you want to drastically reduce concussions, there are three basic jaw positions that affect concussions and two of them are not good. The correct one is called physiologic jaw position. It will dissipate the force away from the brain. Knowing that, I designed an appliance that put my son's jaw in the right place and as a result, he was concussion-free from fifth grade all the way to senior year. This job position takes those 10,800 concussions today down to 28. It's the key to concussion protection. As a parent, this is what you need to know. It's extremely important that the device you are using is on the lower jaw. Thickness of the device is important. Most importantly, it must position and hold you in your own unique personal physiologic jaw position. So if your child goes out on the field with the correct jaw position, your son or daughter will not one of those 10,800 concussions today. Get yours today at powerplusmouthguard.com. Use the promo code POWERUP2023 for 10% off. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me tell you all about it. First of all, it's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the free Anchor app now or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening to the Pigskin Tales podcast. This story was written and produced by your host, Ross Blyley, edited by Nikki Blyley. You can follow me on social media outlets such as Twitter. Subscribe to the show today through Spotify, Podchaser, Apple Podcasts, castbox.fm, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Breaker, and Radio Public. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to anchor.fm. On the World Wide Web at rossblyley.com is where all my episodes are uploaded. The soundtrack is provided by Kevin McLeod of filmmusic.io. Thanks for your support, and I always appreciate feedback. At six foot nothing, 205 pounds, he was considered the greatest 60-minute man of all time. He was a five-time All-Pro NFL player before the Pro Bowl was ever introduced. He earned 11 letters of excellence for his four-sport participation in college. He is the only player in NFL history to score all 40 points in a single game. 
He held the NFL record for most rushing touchdowns in a single game with six for nearly 100 years. This is Pigskin Tales, the story of Ernie Big Dog Nevers. Part 1. A History Lesson Ernest Alonzo Nevers was born to George and Mary Ann Nevers in Willow River, Minnesota on June 11, 1902. Willow River is a small town of about 400 residents and is 100 miles north of Minneapolis. In 1901, the President of the United States was Teddy Roosevelt after former President William McKinley was assassinated. Roosevelt's legacy still continues today, more than a century later. According to the website History.com, President Roosevelt's legacies include becoming America's first cowboy president, the first U.S. president to win a Nobel Peace Prize, passing the Pure Food and Drug Act as well as the Meat Inspection Acts of 1906 to ensure that meatpacking plants were clean. He also inspired the toy teddy bear, helped save the game of football, and created the Bureau of Corporations, which was a financial watchdog agency of corruption. Lastly, he was an advocate of conservation. President Roosevelt was a passionate outdoorsman, hunter, and rancher. During his presidency, he created the United States Forest Service and unveiled five new national parks, that which protected 230 million acres of land around the United States. Roughly a couple years before Big Dog was born, George, Mary, and the six Nevers kids took the 26-and-a-half-hour train ride from Fredericton, New Brunswick, Canada, to Willow River, Minnesota for a job as a hotel keeper. According to the digital research from the Encyclopedia of Workers of the Nation, in 1900 the average wage a hotel keeper made in America was around $1,250 per year. So a question for you is, is that enough money to support a family of seven kids? Here's the answer. A loaf of bread cost five cents, a quarter gallon of milk cost 14 cents, and a dozen of eggs cost 21 cents. As long as George saved some of the money he earned, he definitely made enough to support his family. Shortly after Ernie was born, George had heard of a new hotel opening in Superior, Wisconsin. After a sudden rush of excitement, he told the family that they were moving again because there weren't enough people in Willow River to make a solid living. The kids weren't all that excited to move again, but since they were used to it, they gathered up their belongings and took another train ride about an hour northeast to Superior, Wisconsin. There, they stayed for the next 18 years, allowing Ernie to grow up in a stable household. Part 2. Growing Up While growing up in Superior, he learned hard work, toughness, and dedication from his dad and five older brothers. He learned kindness and respect from his sister and mother, too, but was mostly competitive with his brothers. 
When he was old enough, Ernie attended Superior Central High School. As a freshman, Ernie decided to play football, basketball, and baseball. Although he was the biggest kid in school, he was very clumsy, uncoordinated, and slow. In the coming years, Ernie worked extremely hard at conditioning his body while working on his speed, agility, and strength. According to the online version of the Encyclopedia Britannica, Nevers played offensive tackle for the Superior Central football team. In 1920, Ernie's senior year of high school, George moved the family to California to pursue a career in farming in the Rincon Valley section of Santa Rosa. Ernie started his fall classes as well as played on the football team, but moved back to Superior in January of 1921 to finish playing basketball and graduate with his friends. During his senior season at SRHS, Nevers recorded 108 of the team's 170 total points and earned himself an invitation to play football at Santa Rosa Junior College. Referencing Google Newspapers, Nevers was the junior college's stud. In a game against Petaluma High School, which is a California Division III public school founded in 1873, he scored four touchdowns, kicked six extra points, and a field goal en route to a 47-0 win. After the game, Nevers was approached and asked to play football at Stanford University for Glenn Pop Warner. He obliged and enrolled in the fall of 1922. Part 3. College Utilizing Google Newspapers from an article retrieved from Wikipedia, as a freshman for Stanford, Nevers started day one at fullback. His weight, strength, speed, agility, and position skill made the competition between players fierce, but ultimately he won the starting job. This earned him the nickname Big Dog. As a sophomore, many college media outlets wrote about how Nevers was an all-around backfield star and the backbone of the Stanford offense. In a 1923 game against the California Golden Bears, Nevers gained more rushing yards than the entire Cal team, but lost the game 9-0. Reporters wrote that Nevers' effort was single-handedly one of the greatest individual accounts in college football history. I think one of the reasons why Big Dog was a star at Stanford was because he was a multi-sport letter winner. In addition to playing football, he also participated in basketball, baseball, and track. Between the four sports, he earned a combined 11 letters of excellence. After the 1923 football season, the International News Service published an article on April 12th that told the story of how Nevers' overall athletic ability to cross over into other sports was miraculous and freak genius and named him the Coast's premier football player, the Coast's star basketball player, the best college pitcher, and among the leading track performers. In addition, he's a crack swimmer. Coach Maloney was quoted in the article saying of Nevers, Nevers is like the poets. His kind is born, not produced by training. 
He is the rare type of athlete, the generalist. It is a freak genius he has, a natural ability for athletics. In 1924, Nevers' junior season at Stanford was cut short due to two broken ankle injuries. Even though he's one of the toughest guys to play on the gridiron, it was near impossible to stand without crutches. When the 25 season began, Nevers was bound and determined to be back to normal and hoped teams were scared of him to be back in a Cardinal uniform. Nevers' determination and grit earned him and the Cardinals a trip to the Rose Bowl after a stellar season of 7-0-1 and a Pacific Coast Conference title. In January of 1925, Stanford played against Notre Dame and Nevers was in competition with the famed Four Horsemen. I know what you're asking yourself, or maybe even Googling right now. Who were the Four Horsemen of Notre Dame in 1925? Under Newt Rockney, the Fighting Irish head coach, the Four Horsemen were considered the best backfield group in college football at the time, made up of quarterback Harry Struhlgerber, left halfback Jim Crowley, right halfback Don Miller, and fullback Elmer Layden. At the end of the game, though, it was Notre Dame coming out of the fight the winner with the score of 27-10. To highlight Nevers' toughness, it was a week earlier that he had one of his casts removed. When he was able to put weight on his foot, team doctors gave him the thumbs up to play all 60 minutes of the game. He set a Rose Bowl record of rushing attempts with 34, gaining 114 total yards. The four horsemen of Notre Dame had 127 yards of rushing combined. So thinking about that game, I think that that particular one would have been the best college football game to have seen in person. Tickets were probably dirt cheap and the stadium was packed to the gills. Witnessing Big Dog Nevers run around the field like a guy possessed would have been pretty exciting. Jumping ahead about six months, Ernie happened to notice a fine-looking woman that went by the name of Mary. They immediately hit it off and things got pretty hot and heavy. She was 18 and he was 23. They kept their romance a secret until the season with Stanford was over. From newspapers.com, the Oakland Tribune 
reported in June of 1925 that Nevers signed a short-term contract with the Guerneville Tigers as a pitcher. He also secured a position for the summer months with the Starrett Meat Company. Then, in November of 1925, which was the end of Nevers' senior football season, he had to figure out his future. Some questions he had to ask himself were, What are my options for making money? How much do I love Mary? Do I marry her? If we get married, how do I support her financially? He probably had a lot to figure out. He decided that it was time to ask Mary the all-important question about getting married. She said yes, and the wedding was planned for the following summer. Shortly after their engagement, he found out that he was voted to the first team All-American team by the press. Part 4 Professional Athlete About a month later in December, Nevers received a phone call asking him to play football in Jacksonville, Florida professionally. After a long conversation with his fiancée Mary, they believed that this was his best opportunity for him to advance his career to the next level. Nevers was paid handsomely for his time. It was reported to be between $25,000 and $35,000 to play for the Jacksonville Pros. Sadly, the team only played two exhibition games in early January of 1926, and because of low attendance, professional football could not be salvaged in the Sunshine State. I can only surmise then that the New York Giants and Chicago Bears dominated the Nevers Jacksonville team. So what happened next? Two weeks later, it was reported by the Oakland Tribune on Tuesday night, February 9, 1926, that Nevers came back to Santa Rosa to visit with his folks about what he should do because playing professional football in Jacksonville didn't work out. The same reporter then published an article a week later on February 17th that Ernie and Mary got married at the home of Mr. and Mrs. W.J. Fitzgerald, located at 299 Pennsylvania Street, San Francisco, California, at 5.30 p.m. There were a few friends at the informal wedding, but no one knew of this wonderful event. A decision was made after the wedding that Nevers was going to attend spring training for the St. Louis Browns professional baseball team in Florida. According to the same article, Ernie and Mary moved up the wedding because he was supposed to play football in Jacksonville. However, it didn't work out, so they chose to get hitched and off he went to play baseball instead. Referencing BaseballReference.com, he appeared in 11 games, starting 7 of them. His win-loss record was 2-4. He pitched underhand style in 74 and 2 thirds innings, striking out 16 batters. He also had four complete games. One of those complete games happened to be against the Detroit Tigers that included Baseball Hall of Famer Ty Cobb. Overall, his first season, he gave up 82 hits, 41 runs, 4 home runs, and 24 walks. His ERA was 4.46. While he didn't save any games, he finished 4 of them. 
So by the numbers only, I would say, in my own opinion, that he had a decent season for his first season as a pro baseball player. He was 24 years old and in the best shape of his life. Still, though, he knew that baseball wasn't his thing. He loved football. He loved everything about it. The hitting, kicking, toughness strategy. He loved the game and all that it stood for. According to the Santa Cruz newspaper dated September 7, 1926, Nevers decided that he needed to be on the gridiron again. It was reported in the paper that day that, since he didn't show up for the game against the Cleveland Indians the day before, that he had left the team. When asked, the business manager, Mr. Friel, said he didn't know where Nevers was, but that he had asked for permission to leave the team at once. After doing some digging, the reporter found out that he had left the team to go play professional football in Duluth, Minnesota. It was his childhood friend, Ole Hagsrud, whom then took a train to Florida to convince the big dog if he wanted to play professional football. He said he owned a team in Duluth called the Eskimos. I don't think it took too much convincing, but I can surmise that his eyes lit up like a Christmas tree and his smile was from ear to ear. He was on the next train to Duluth after he had a chat with Mr. Friel. Two weeks after leaving professional baseball and beginning his second stint in professional football in Duluth, it was reported in the Green Bay Press-Gazette on September 20th 1926 that Nevers and the Eskimos played their first game against the Kansas City Cowboys in Duluth for the biggest crowd in NFL history. It was reported as a dogfight, but in the end it was Nevers who scored the game-winning touchdown and extra point. The column pointed out that Nevers was here, there, and everywhere, and was the individual star. He was living up to his all-American ability. The score ended up being 7-0, but had the Eskimos not fumbled twice near the goal line, the score would have been 21-0. When Nevers played in the NFL for Hagsrud and the Eskimos, it was considered a pretty big deal because he and Red Grange were the two hottest names in collegiate football a couple years ago. According to the Evening Independent newspaper located in Massillon, Ohio, dated June 5, 1975, in his rookie season the Eskimos played 29 games, 28 of them on the road. At one time, they played eight games in a five-day span. Nevers helped the team to a 19-7-3 win-loss tie record. That's unusual because in the early years of the NFL, they only played 14 game seasons. So the other games, the other 15 rather, were exhibition games. 
In my opinion, because Hegsrud had gotten Nevers to play football again, people around the country wanted to see him play. So the team of 13 players spent 111 days traveling by bus from coast to coast, winning games and making fans of football very happy. Part 5. Iron Man It was during his rookie season that Nevers became known as the true Iron Man of professional football because he always played. He never came out of the game. He played 1,714 minutes of a possible 1,740 minutes. The one time he did come out of a game was for 26 minutes for a mild case of appendicitis. Also, a big reason why he played so much was because the team only had 13 players on the roster at that time. So pretty much everybody had to play both sides of the ball. If it hadn't been for the NFL to rule that 14 games out of the 29 were official, Nevers would be credited for nearly all of the points scored for every game they played that season. However, it has been noted by ProFootballReference.com that in the 14 games that were official, Nevers had 71 points total, which breaks down to 8 touchdowns, 11 extra points, and 4 field goals. At the end of the 1926 season, it was reported by the Green Bay Press Gazette, the Chicago Tribune, and Collier's Eye Magazine that Ernie Nevers was a consensus pick to be the number one vote-getter for the fullback position on the 1926 All-Pro team. To keep himself in shape during the football offseason, Nevers played baseball for the St. Louis Browns. 2 to nothing, Baltimore, third inning. Two outs, nobody on. And this is what people have come to see. There it is. There it is. If it stays there, there it is. Number 60. In 1927, he appeared in 27 games, starting five. His earned run average was 4.94. He finished 13 games, saved two, and had a win-loss record of 3-8. He struck out 22 batters in 94 and two-thirds innings. He gave up 105 hits, 61 runs, 8 home runs, two of which actually happened to be from Babe Ruth, and 35 walks. I think by far this was his best season as a pro baseball player, purely by the numbers. And in my opinion, I think that this success had a lot to do with more playing time as well as more experience in the game. It was in the fall of 1927 that Nevers decided to transition from baseball to football. The Duluth Eskimos began the regular season in October. I surmise that, just before the season started, Hagsrud, the owner, called Ernie in Florida and asked him to be the team's head coach. Hey, Big Ern! This is Donnie. Donnie Hagsrud. How you doing, buddy? Doing good. Thanks for calling. What's up? Say, I was just wondering if you would, uh, 
coach some football this year. What do you mean by coaching? Well, I was just thinking, you know, you're kind of the star of the show and you kind of run things already, so kind of wondering if you would uh, be the team's head coach. What do you think? Oh, gee, I don't know, Donnie. I mean, sure, I mean, it sounds pretty good, I guess. Uh, How much more do you think that I could make? Well, I suppose we'd have to sit down and talk about that, but I would say we could get you maybe an extra 10% added on to your check. What do you say about that? Sounds good to me. Let's do it. In order to convince him, he more than likely offered a pay increase for becoming the head coach in addition to the team's star player. The season ended terribly in December. They played all their games on the road. Their record was a meager 1-8. Their only win was against the Pottsville Marooners in Pottsville, and the score was 27-0. Otherwise, the team lost all their games. Some close, some not so close. This was very disappointing to Hegsrud and Nevers. At the end of the season, Nevers had lots of individual success, such as earning first-team All-Pro honors at fullback, but as everyone knows, you can't win a team championship on the back of just one guy. Moving ahead to the spring of 1928, Nevers began playing with the St. Louis Browns, but he did not finish the season. He only appeared in six games, starting none. He finished two games, won one game, had zero saves, only pitched nine innings total, struck one batter out, gave up nine hits, four runs, one home run, and two walks. This, by far, was his least productive season of his professional baseball career. Part 6. Minor League Baseball Prior to his transition from Major League Baseball, Nevers announced on March 24th of 1928 that he was going to help Pop Warner coach football at Stanford in the fall. His reasoning was was that he had hurt his back last season and didn't want to take any more chances. It was reported a month later, according to the Daily Democrat published on May 24th, that the St. Louis Browns sold Nevers' contract to the Mission Bells, a minor league club of the Pacific Coast League for $7,500. He was to be paid a yearly salary of $6,000 to pitch. Statistics from BaseballReference.com show that in 1928, Nevers appeared in 29 games as a pitcher and 35 as a batter for the Bells. He pitched 206 innings, gave up 202 hits, 108 runs, 100 earned runs and 69 walks. His earned run average was 4.37 and his win-loss record was 14 and 11. In the 35 games he actually got to hit in, he had 91 at bats. Of those 91 at bats, he hit 4 doubles, 3 home runs and 34 singles. This equates to a batting average of 374. 
not bad for a football player that loves to play baseball in his spare time. In September of 1928, Mr. Nevers returned to coaching football at Stanford, but it was the reserves he helped develop. He replaced Hal Davis. Coach Warner had informed Mr. Davis of the change in plans after he returned from visiting the Olympic Games in Amsterdam. Following the football season, the baseball team had asked him to stay to become the next assistant coach. It was reported by the Associated Press on February 17, 1929, that he resigned from coaching baseball at Stanford to focus on pitching for the Mission Bells. In his second season with the Bells, he pitched in 36 games and batted in 41 games. He pitched 148 innings, gave up 194 hits, 92 runs, 75 earned runs, and 60 walks. His ERA was 4.56, and his win-loss record was 7-8. In the 41 games he batted, he had 64 at-bats. In those 64, he had 18 singles and 3 doubles. His batting average dropped to 281. Overall, in two seasons as a minor leaguer, his batting average was 335 in 76 games. To break it down, he had 52 hits out of 155 at-bats, 7 doubles, 3 home runs. As a pitcher, his lifetime stats as a minor leaguer are 354 innings pitched, 396 hits given up, 200 runs, 175 earned runs, and 129 walks. His ERA was 4.45, and his win-loss record was 21-19. and 19. But an amazing stat that I like to look at is that in his two seasons as a pitcher, he did not give up a single home run in 65 games, whereas in the majors he gave up 13 in 44 games. So a question that I'd like to ask you, the listener, is why was he so much better as a minor leaguer than as a major leaguer? I think the reason is because his stats are so much better in double-A ball than in major league ball. Speculation could be made that it was the level of competition that made it easier for Nevers to compete. However, his win-loss record as a pitcher shows that he was an average pitcher. But as a batter, he was an above-average hitter. Since Nevers only played a month's worth of minor league baseball in the spring of 1929, he had a lot of time to think about his future and his health. Speculation about a conversation with his wife Mary could be made that they discussed their future of having kids and maybe getting a real job instead of playing a game for money. While no one knows exactly how he spent his money from playing football and baseball, one could surmise that he saved some of it for his future without professional sports. Speculation could also be made that he went back to Santa Rosa, California and visited with his dad about what he should do now that baseball is over and that football hasn't started yet. Putting more thought than possible about this summer with nothing to do, speculation could be made that once Nevers finished his month of baseball with the Bells, he sat on the bench and coached the rest of the season. After the season, he started training to play professional football again, 
this time for the Chicago Cardinals as a fullback on offense and a linebacker on defense. He also was a place kicker on special teams. Thanks for listening to the Pigskin Tales podcast. This story will continue in the next episode. Be sure to tune in. This story was written and produced by your host, Ross Bliley, edited by Nikki Bliley. You can follow me on social media outlets such as Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to the show today through Spotify, Podchaser, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, castbox.fm, pocketcasts, breaker, and radio public. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to anchor.fm. On the World Wide Web at rossblyley.com is where all my episodes are uploaded. The soundtrack is provided by Kevin McLeod of filmmusic.io. Thanks for your support, and I always appreciate feedback. Sources of information were found on the web at newspapers.com, 1900 to 1909 prices and wages by decade from the library guide at the University of Missouri, profootballhalloffame.com, history.com, the online Encyclopedia Britannica, the National Football Foundation, baseballreference.com, profootballreference.com, and profootballresearchers.org. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, And I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.